0: welcome everyone welcome to part three of the message of the manna to those gathered here in Oregon where we even felt the shaking of the earthquake today (laughs) and we also welcome all of you online our brothers and sisters today's session is titled perils what we must know about perils is that much like pockets of chaos, they are sometimes created by our own actions, words, and deeds. And at other times, we walk straight into them at no fault of our own. We can simply be walking in covenant obedience and walk straight into a perilous pocket of chaos which may have come it may have come through a friend or a family member or at the workplace or an unexpected disastrous event in life perils of subjective morality in Ephesians chapter 4, verse 14 through 16, we read So that we should no longer be children tossed and borne about by every wind of teaching, by the trickery of men in cleverness, unto the craftiness of leading astray, but maintaining the truth in love we grow up in all respects into him who is the head messiah from whom the entire body joined and knit together by what every joint supplies according to the working by which each part does its share causes growth of the body for the building up of itself in love The 11 of the Pharisees and Herod this was Yahusha's warning to his disciples and they had forgotten to take bread and they did not have more than one loaf with them in the boat and he was warning them saying mind it wasn't a casual warning it was a warning mind Beware of the leaven of the Pharisees and of the leaven of Herod. And they were reasoning with one another, saying, Because we have no bread? And Yahushua, being aware of it, said to them, Why do you reason because you have no bread? Do you not yet perceive nor understand? Is your heart still hardened? Having eyes, do you not see? And having ears, do you not hear? And do you not remember? You know, I was a little bit intimidated by all those questions. I I could relate to his disciples. Yahushua goes on to say, When I broke the five loaves for the 5,000, how many baskets filled with broken pieces did you pick up? They said to him, 12. And when I broke the 7 for the 4,000, so he has more bread, fewer people, right? And when I broke the 7 for the 4,000, how many large baskets filled with broken pieces did you pick up? And they said, seven. And he said to them, how do you not understand Well, personally, I had to review that a couple of times. (laughs) So the five loaves represent the first five books of Torah. Matthew has taught that. So I had to jump start on that part, which were the pure word of Elohim. The five loaves fed a thousand more people to full satisfaction and even had 12 baskets of leftovers and the 12 always rather connects back to the 12 tribes. So all of the people received full nutrition with more leftovers than we'll see that fed the 4,000. Now the seven loaves represented, in my understanding, two additional books of leavened doctrine added by man. Now what was interesting when I was reading that account, Yahuwah still blessed the bread before the feeding. I was kind of like, huh, you're going to Bless that, huh? And then it it dawned on me, it was because he knew his true word was mixed in. And his word does not return void. However, the seven loaves fed fewer people and there were only seven baskets of leftovers. To be satisfied, the crowd of 4,000 had to eat more of this genetically modified man-made doctrine like we used to do in the traditional church setting to receive enough of his word to be satisfied. Now, there are other types of perils. For Paul, it was perils Of obedience he was obedient and he encountered perils in 2nd Corinthians chapter 11 verse 22 through 28 we read are they Hebrews so am I are they of Israel so am I are they the seed of Abraham so am I are they servants of Messiah I speak as beside myself, I am more, in labors, much more, in stripes, above measure, in prisons, more frequently, in deaths, many times. Five times I received from the Yehudim, 40 stripes less one. Five times. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was stoned, three times I was shipwrecked, a night and a day I have been in the deep, in many travels, in dangers of waters, in dangers of robbers, in dangers from my own race, in danger from the nations, in dangers in the city, in dangers in the desert, in dangers in the sea, in dangers among false brothers, in toil, and hardship, in watchings often, in hunger and thirst." In fastings, often in cold and nakedness, besides the matters from outside, what comes upon me daily, the anxiety for all the assemblies. In Matthew chapter 5, verse 10 through 12, it says, Blessed are those persecuted for righteousness' sake because theirs is the reign of the heavens. Blessed are you when they reproach and persecute you and falsely say every wicked word against you for my sake. Rejoice and be glad, because your reward in the heavens is great. For in this way they persecuted the prophets who were before you. So perils can come to us, for many reasons and, and in different ways. When I was a little girl with my sisters and dad and mom were raising us, we were raised in a very humble dwelling. My dad had come from a prestigious family out of Hattiesburg, Mississippi. His mother was the firstborn of 12 children and he was the first grandson of my great grandfather but he was treated more like the 13th child. He later married what they considered the wrong woman, so we were considered the lesser. Dad, as a young boy, ran away from the Masonic boarding school he was placed in and later pursued his passion for flying and became an ag pilot. Funds were always limited, and he always told us girls You've got to get your sheepskin to make it in life. You've got to get your sheepskin to make it in life. He would pound that into our heads. And little did he know that I now believe Yahuwah wanted him to speak those words over me from my father, not only to get an education, but to become one day Yahweh's sheep, that kind of sheepskin, to become part of his flock, which there is no greater privilege. Little did I perceive that daily life for mom and dad often seemed to be a challenge with worry from paycheck to paycheck or flying season to season. You know, we were greatly blessed because the landlord in which we rented the house he never raised the rent it was always fifty dollars a month he never raised the rent until sometime after i graduated college and then it went from 50 to 250 that's when we moved that out but we had a roof over our head food on the table it was a rather nice mayberry type subdivision, not a subdivision, just a neighborhood. We had clean clothes and most of all we had love despite the daily challenges that mom and dad had. So to all of you men, all of you dads, there's a lot sometimes weighing on your shoulders. We do want to say how much we appreciate all of you. And you many times probably hold your peace and stand strong and we just want you to know we lift you up in prayer we appreciate all that you do <coughs> yahweh will try us just ask the israelites at mara in Exodus 15, 22 through 27, and Moses brought Israel from the Sea of Reeds, and they went out into the wilderness of Shur, and they went three days in the wilderness and found no water. And they came to Marah, and they were unable to drink the waters of Marah, for they were bitter. So the name of it was called Marah. And the people grumbled against Moses, saying, what are we to drink? Then he cried out to Yahuwah, and Yahuwah showed him a tree. And when he threw it into the waters, the waters were made sweet. There he made a law and a right ruling for them. And there he tried them. And he said, If you diligently If you diligently obey the voice of Yahuwah, your Elohim, and do what is right in his eyes, and shall listen to his commands, and shall guard all his laws, the same guarding as a soldier would guard. I shall bring on you none of the diseases I brought on the Egyptians, for I am Yahuwah who heals you. And they came to Elim, where there were 12 fountains of water and 70 palm trees. And they camped there by the waters. There were healing qualities in that tree. And we studied about the Balm of Gilead. The Balm of Gilead was a rare perfume used medicinally that was mentioned in the Hebrew Bible and named for the region of Gilead where it was produced. The expression stems from William Tyndale's language in the King James Bible of 1611 and has come to signify a universal cure in figurative speech. The tree or shrub producing the balm is commonly identified as Commiphora Gilead, Dennis. However, some botanical scholars have concluded that the actual source was a terebinth tree in the genus pistachia. I've always thought that was interesting. I always wanted to figure out what was a terebinth tree because it's so prevalent in his word. So the bitter waters became good. He will try us. Just ask Korah. Korah's rebellion and his pocket of chaos in Numbers 16, 1 through 3. And Korah, son of Yitshar, son of Kohath, son of Levi, took both Dathan and Abram, the sons of Eliab and On son of Phelah sons of Reuben and they rose up before Moses with some of the children of Israel 250 leaders of the congregation called ones of the men meeting called called ones of the meeting men of name and they assembled against Moses and against Aaron and said to them enough of you for all the congregation is set apart all of them and Yahuwah is in their midst why then do you lift up yourselves above the assembly of Yahuwah let's take a listen to this clip
1: we are in Torah portion Korah today Korah and what this is about today is the rebellion against Moshe and Aaron. How does this apply to us today? Because this is all about Korah's non-acceptance, non-acceptance of Moshe and Aaron's appointment. And because they did not accept Yahweh's ordination of their position, it resulted in dishonor. Because here is a principle, and this is a principle that will either enable us to survive and thrive when it comes to mystery Babylon, or go down with her as she goes down in a day. And that is, acceptance brings forth honor. Non-acceptance brings forth honor dishonor, and destruction. It's a principle in life that I see throughout the Bible that I've learned in my life, and today we're going to see that because Korah would not accept Moshe and Aaron's position, it enabled him to go down to destruction because he dishonored their appointment. Of course, all of those of the tents of Korah went down as the ground opened up. And what happened, a plague went out to the whole congregation of Israel, and the only way that it was stopped was through the throwing down of a censer. Well, isn't that what happens in Revelation? And then when you read in Revelation when it says, come out of her, my people, lest you partake of her place. Because in the end times, when Mystery Babylon goes down, all of those in non-acceptance and dishonor will partake of her place. But there will be a people that have learned acceptance and honor and they will be the people that are able to navigate how to come out of mystery battle successfully in this day and in this time.
0: He will try us just as Achan at the valley of Acor, which means trouble, disturbance. And it's essentially a pocket of chaos, just like Korah brought into the camp, a pocket of chaos. In Joshua chapter 7, verse 10 through 11, we read, And Yahweh said to Joshua, Rise up, why are you lying on your face? Israel has sinned, and they have also transgressed my covenant, which I commanded them. And they have even taken some of that which is under the ban and have both stolen and deceived and also put it among their own goods. So Achan was confronted. In Joshua verse 21, he says, When I saw among the spoil of a lovely garment from Shinar, And 200 shekels of silver and a wedge of gold weighing 50 shekels I coveted them and took them and see they are hidden in the ground in the midst of the tent with the silver under it and Joshua sent messengers and they ran to the tent and see it was hidden in the in his tent with the silver under it and they took and they took them from the midst of the tent brought them to Joshua and to all the children of Israel and laid them out before Yahuwah. Then Joshua and all Israel with him took Achan son of Zerah and the silver and the garment and the wedge of gold and his sons and his daughters and his oxen and his donkeys and his sheep and his tent and all that he had and they brought them to the valley of Aphor. You see how one person can bring in a pocket of chaos? Do you see how many people it affected their whole lives and Joshua said why have you troubled us Yahuwah does trouble you today then all Israel stoned him with stones and they burned them with fire after they had stoned them with stones And they raised over him a great heap of stones, which remains to this day. Then Yahuwah turned from the fierceness of his displeasure. Therefore, the name of that place has been called the Valley of Achor to this day.
1: Mystery Babylon does not accept Yahuwah's Torah as the ultimate law. Mystery Babylon does not accept the Father. Mystery Babylon does not accept the Son. Mystery Babylon does not accept the Torah of Moses. And Mystery Babylon is a dishonorable creature. Mystery Babylon thrives on contracting with fallen men to be a partakers of dishonor, rebellion, and iniquity. And by so doing, they shall partake of her play. And we are going to see that play come upon this world in our generation in one day. I believe that day is coming soon. I believe that day is coming soon. Did you know, though, Frederick, that the Ruach HaKodesh, the Holy Spirit, in, of course, the Septuagint and in the the literature that was communicated to the Greeks, Hokma in the Hebrew, wisdom, or Sophia, Sophia in the Greek, in the Septuagint, wisdom, Sophia, she determines who you are assigned. And sometimes, brethren this Mrs. hard. I've discovered this myself, sometimes you and I are assigned to collide into chaos. Sometimes you and I are assigned to collide into dishonorable people. Sometimes you are assigned a trial by fire to see whether you will accept it and come out refined and honorable or whether you will argue and fight against it and come out in dishonor and find yourselves in rags and tatters. I used to, brethren, I used to think that fighting and arguing was It's a sign of strength because I was like a scrappy dog, backed into a corner. And you know what? I was raised. If if you come at me, then it's on. We're going to fight, and that's being tough. But as I've matured, I found that I only ended up doing harm to myself. And now, in my years now, with the grey hairs coming in, I've learned not to fight, not to argue, and never to enter into a public controversy. I've learned acceptance and honor, and it's changed my life, my life, life life-changing ramifications. I believe that there are pockets of chaos in this world. And I believe that's due to sin. Physics would back me up. There is randomness in this world. And there are pockets of chaos due to sin. And sometimes bad things happen to good people. Sometimes bad things happen to honorable people. Why do the good die young? Why do the saints die young and the wicked seem to prosper? Sometimes honorable people get caught up in chaos. Because there are pockets of chaos all over this created world as a result of sin. And Yahweh allows that chaos to exist because it is a consequence of sin. And he's not gonna get rid of it until the kingdom comes. But we then are tested to see how we will navigate the chaos. Will we accept it and be honorable? Or will we not accept it and fight against it like an atom banging against another atom? There are random things that happen in this world. And sometimes you and I will collide into chaos and dishonorable people. What will you and I do then? Yahweh has chosen living souls, haim, living nefesh, souls, to go through this experience that we call life to see if we will stand in honor at the judgment. That's
0: it. Have you ever been through a trial by fire? Something that just slapped you down on your face, face down. I'll never forget one, one day after work, we were having a group get-together. It was probably a birthday party or a going-away party or something like that. And uh, so I was getting home Later. And this was when I was married to my first husband. And I was on my way home, and it was the first time I ever heard Yahweh speak to me in a, in a voice that seemed real. He said, go. And I'm driving, and he, go, he goes, go now. And it was so real, I said, okay. You know, so I got home. I had to take care of the animals first. I had to feed the four dogs. I had to take care of the horses. I had to do all kinds of stuff. I had to pack up because he told me to go. And I knew where he wanted me to go. It was gonna be dark by the time I got there. It was gonna be in the woods of Mississippi. And I packed my 38. And I wanted to bring a flashlight and I headed out, but I just didn't want to head out and not let anybody know where I was going. So I called my sister, Carol Ann, and I I told her where I was going because she had been there with me before. And I said, don't try to tell me no, don't go because he told me to go. I just don't know exactly how to get there. And she said, well, Libby, I wrote the instructions down when we went that one time. I have them right here. Let me give them to you. And the only way to find this place was by using your odometer and also looking for the signs, like maybe a stop sign or whatever. Go this far, turn left. Go this far, turn right. And then when you pass this, turn left. And in that area, there had been some escaped convicts and stuff. That's why I wanted to bring my 38. Just wanted to clarify that.
2: <laughs>
0: and so I pulled up to the gate. The gate was locked. I said, oh. I said, oh. You know? And, but then I looked at the end of the gate and the tree, and there was a gap. I said, I can get through that so i got out of the car and i went to go get the flashlight i forgot the flashlight y'all had a full moon that night i had no problem it was almost like walking in daylight and that night changed my whole world trial by fire pocket of chaos devastation where you can't even speak so his timing was absolutely perfection and in the end of days when perilous times come you're not going to have to wonder "Well, should I do this should I do that no just wait he's going to tell you he's going to tell you so even though I tried to protect my family, tried to put out that fire, tried to live in forgiveness and acceptance and honor. Two weeks later, I'm at my cubicle at work. It's 11 o'clock and his voice comes to me again. He goes, go go now well obviously i knew i needed to go of course i kept everything to myself i was trying to protect my family so i got up and i told everyone i'm going to take an early lunch and i got up and i went to where another place that i knew he wanted me to go and Perfect timing again so things didn't work out things didn't work out I lost everything everything my home what I had as my family was torn apart by SA 10 SA 10 had shot a fiery dart and it hit the target I had to give away my dogs that I trained, Labrador Retrievers. I had to find homes for my horses. I had to pack up the entire house. I had to ask Carol Ann if I could sleep on her sofa. I had no rights because when you're young and in love, you sign prenuptial agreements. But Yahuwah was good. He gave me beauty for ashes. I stayed the course, I persevered, almost having a nervous breakdown, probably came as close as I could even imagine, but his strength is in us, and we can do all things through Yahusha that strengthens us. Korah lusted for the pride of life. Achan lusted for the lust of the eyes and the lust of the flesh. See, those are the only tools of SATN. Lust of the eyes, lust of the flesh, and pride of life. And what people throw away for such. What people throw away for such. We too fall into lust and pride when we do not control our physical fleshly appetites we can manifest pockets of chaos internally and externally and if we continue to seek the fleshly delicacies of this world and overly eat and that is only one example okay there's a lot of different aspects to this because you can overindulge the flesh in any shape or form then pockets of chaos can be created with subsequent consequences not only to that one individual but to all of those around them chastisement and consequences always follow Yahweh's chosen ones when they step out outside his covenant when they step out from under the umbrella of Yahweh's covenant commands. You get wet. Sorry. You get wet. He can only protect us if we stay under his umbrella of covenant, of his covenant commandments. He chastises us because he loves us and he wants the best for us. Today, overindulgence is being sorely promoted to the next generation and they are greatly suffering. That is truly a pandemic. The next generation coming up, we heard the physicians the other day, 10 year olds, 16 year olds having issues. I'm not really sure It's just been an amazing journey that Yahuwah took me down this path to speak on this topic. And I think it's just the tip of the iceberg. And I think it possibly is a way to reach the next generation and wake us up from our stupor. Because this evil world is doing a number on the generations. And they're normalizing it all. And then they're sitting back and they're laughing. Greater is He that is in us than He that is in the world. He will and does still try us. But most of the time, it's to strengthen us. Coming out of physical chaos from within and starting with the basic message of the manna. It seems so obvious now, doesn't it, how Yahweh was including and focusing so much on what they ate in the wilderness and, and what we eat in this present wilderness that we are in. In 1 Corinthians chapter 1, 27-31, But Elohim has chosen the foolish matters of the world to put to shame the wise. And Elohim has chosen the weak of the world to put to shame the strong. He shows you the strength you have that you never thought you had. And Elohim has chosen the lowborn of the world and the despised. And the ones that are not, that he might bring to naught... The ones that are, so that no flesh should boast in his presence, and of him and of him you are in Messiah Yahusha, who became for us wisdom from Elohim, righteousness also, and set apartness and redemption. That as it has been written, he who boasts, let him boast in Yahuwah. Absolutely,
2: the experience the is so ignoring. So. He's, he and all of us have realized there's a, you know, that we are a hybrid engine. So you have your, your metabolism that's based on glucose, and everyone needs to understand it. it's sugar and glucose, that, that is the, the ultimate uh, currency that we use to produce uh, ATP. But there's another currency in the body, and that currency is ketones. So when everything's put into storage and you've depleted the glycogen in your liver because you've been exercising now, then you need your fat stores. That's another source of energy. So when the fats kick in and your ketones start going up, you will feel different when the ketones are in your body. So that feeling of euphoria, that feeling that the patients feel empowered and your son feels so good after running on an empty stomach, of course part degree of endorphins that are produced in is very sure, good. But, but the other product is this ketones. We all make ketones. We are supposed to make ketones. The trouble is when we eat so frequently you turn ketones off. We must all experience some degree of ketogenesis in our life. In our day to day, maybe at least two to three times a week you should become significantly ketotic. That does not really mean that you need to fast for three days or four days. No. Look. When we cut down on the amount of carbohydrates, simple sugars, and we, we will go into ketogenesis sooner and sooner in a fast. So that's adaptation, we're adapting your metabolism. If you're eating a lot of carbs and sugars all the time, then stop eating, you'll stop producing ketones maybe at 24, 36 hours. But if you're already on a diet that cuts out processed foods, sugars, simple starches, all the refined products, now your body will start making ketones at a much earlier stage. So maybe by about 15, 16 hours also, some people will start making substantial amounts of ketones. Now those ketones, when they are being used in your metabolism, you will experience what your son experienced. I feel great, my exercise my tongue's better, my thinking's better. So it's a different chemistry you're using in your body. And I think all of us, all of us need to go into some degree of ketone production because it has multiple other benefits to being in ketone production. And in ketone production, there's a whole new biochemistry that's going on in the body, which we need. Because one is anabolic, but putting on, on, on all the time. In the ketosis, now the body's cleaning up and becoming efficient. So it's another metabolism we need to engage and we just don't engage enough of it. And now on the fasting program is when I'm saying that the reparative processes all kick in. Now I'm gonna say this again, the reparative process in your body is kicking in at a higher level when you are doing your fasting. How do I say that? Oh I do. blood pressure comes down, joints seem to get better, bowel symptoms seem to get better, patients look better, now there's data showing that these patients live longer, less cancer as well, and we know about the chemistry that is induced, which one of them is called autophagy, where the cells actually recycle all the inner parts to become more efficient, and mitochondria recycle as well, It's called mitophagy. So these autophagy and mitophagy, which is recycling your, your biochemistry of your cells, does not occur in a fed state. It occurs much more when you're in a fasting state. So we're supposed to have that. We're supposed to do it. That's how our life cycle was yeah. supposed to be, yeah.
3: Yeah, it's, it's, it's interesting, as you speak, you remind me very much of a conversation I had with Dr. William Lee, uh, very, very recently on the podcast, who's done a lot of research into comparing food as medicine compared to drugs. And uh, Dr. Lee talks about these uh, defense systems that we have inside our body. He's got these five, he talks about these five defense systems, and he talks about using food as medicine to support these defense systems. And, you know, there are things like you know, inflammation, the immune system, the gut microbiome, uh, stem cells, DNA. And it's interesting, he talks about what particular foods have been shown. To support those various defence processes. But also, what you're talking about is the withdrawal of food uh, at prescribed set intervals also activates these natural defence processes that the body has got. And I find that really, really fascinating that actually, what we're trying to do is support the body's natural defenses. We're trying to support that body's own natural resilience that's there. If we and modern life kind of gets out of the way, we're getting in the way and actually stopping this stuff from working, but what you're talking about is, let's get out of the way and we're gonna naturally kick all of these kind of different systems into gear.
2: Yes, right. Dr. Lee, amazing. So he talks about the foods that you want to to, to consume to to, to bring about these beneficial changes, right? And the mechanisms are uh, immunity, of course, and stem cells, as you mentioned, and and, uh, your gut microbiome, which we know now, plays a huge role in your day-to-day health. Now, fasting impacts on all of them. Yeah, exactly. Uh, After you finish your fast, and then when you have your meal, you get, you get stem cell mobilization. So after a fast, you're getting, you're getting more stem cells mobilized from your moment. Now what are stem cells? Stem cells will go into the circulation, go to the parts of the body, and they already have messages on them, tagging them where to go, what to do. The body has immense internal signals. So these stem cells go exactly and hone in exactly where they need to go, and create the new cells and repair the body because maybe those cells that were senescent died. Maybe certain uh, organs, uh, dysfunctional cells died. And these stem cells move moving, and we know that. We know this is stem cell mobilization. It occurs with fasting. You talk about growth hormone, growth hormone. You want to increase your growth hormone? Growth hormone, as you know, goes down after the age of 30, and plummet, really goes down. Growth hormone is responsible for muscle building, and growth hormone production skyrockets when you're fasting because your body makes much more growth hormone. You. you need more than taking shots. So if you exercise in a fasting state, you'll actually going to put on more muscle mass, which is what your son is gonna come back and tell you, that, dad, I'm, I'm putting on more muscle in my fasting state when I exercise it then than if I exercise it. It's because of growth hormone. So it's about immunity. Your immunity gets better when you're fasting. During a fast, your body, is developing mechanisms to strengthen itself and, and immunity does go up, and we know that, that certain foods can go to the same thing, but there you go, now imagine the power if we join all of this together So eat the right foods, eat the foods to improve your immunity as well, and to the fasting as well, right? This, this is just, I think that the future is so exciting in this area where, where people like you about to leave, and Dr. Lee, Come together and we're going we to change things and say look we need to change what we're eating we need to change the sourcing of our foods and we need to broaden our, our gut. look at the microbiome i didn't even talk about the microbiome just now so fasting does affect the microbiome yeah, yeah. It, it does uh, and we know that that's a whole new area that's so dynamic in the, the life of the half life of, of bacteria in the gut changes uh, so we know that when we are fasting certain bacteria are gone and we know that the types of foods that eat affect our microbiome, uh, but fasting itself also affects the microbiome. Yeah. So yeah. I love fasting because it, it does uh, have positive effects on the microbiome, and we know that that's huge. I never believed about the microbiome stuff until about five years ago, but the data now coming yeah. out is so compelling for me. Yeah. Uh, as yeah. a cardiologist, um, in fact, I saw a patient yesterday. And I advised him that he used to be eating pro, probiotic foods and fermented foods. And, and he's like, but Doc, I'm here for my uh, my coronary Calcium score, which was so high. <laughs> so it's, it's just fascinating
3: stuff. Yeah, it, it really is. And it's, it's, again, it's that one thing, fasting, that's hitting so many different things, isn't it? It's reducing your insulin, it's encouraging autophagy, you know, we've not mentioned really apoptosis yet, encouraging apoptosis, stem cell production, growth hormones, so many different things are being activated. And actually, if we could get a drug to do any one of those, we'd be sort of shouting about it. But, but this one thing does all of them, which is, which is incredibly fascinating. Awesome.
0: Awesome. Repairs of the breach, naturally and spiritually. It's amazing how he does heal us spiritually too and how he did restore beauty for ashes I didn't want to make this comment because every person and relationship Yahuwah brings into our life serves a purpose and I want you all to know that my first marriage lasted 15 years and and it actually improved my life because his, his mother was a very strong believer. She was a believer, and I wasn't a believer. And over time, we were always very active, and we were coming back from a spear-fishing trip on um, the lower part, the southeast part of Toledo Bend, and we were spearfishing bass and scuba diving and... We were going back home and having a crown of water. and Somehow we started talking about religion. And, uh, you know, he knew much more about the Bible than he lived. He was an extremely carnal Christian. But he looked over at me, and because uh, I told him, I said, well, my mom said I was sprinkled, I knew Jesus, and I was good to go. And he said, uh, no, you don't have it right that's all it took that that's all it took and so when I got home I had his mother's Bible and uh, he told me go ahead and and start reading start in the New Testament and he's and he told me now don't overpromise, Yahweh. If you're not going to carry it through, don't overpromise. So I was just like, okay, whatever you say, you know. So I, I promised God at the time I would read one verse a day, and of course I read much more. And I asked Yahweh to teach me because I said, I've heard this, I've heard that. What way is it? I don't know. What what way is it? And I literally read it and wept. And so I read it for two years. And I prayed for a church, but at the time, where we were at, and since we owned a rock and roll club, pretty much just right down the block from the biggest church in town, I, I didn't think that would be probably the place for me to start out. <laughs> I didn't know how that would jihaw, you know? So I continued to pray, pray for a church, because that's what you're told to do, right? So that's what I did. And Yahweh moved us out to the country. And the couple we were buying the house from, the woman, Wanda, came out and she said, Hey, Libby. I said, Yes, Wanda. She goes, um, Do you have a church? I said, No. And uh, she said, Well, I go to a little Baptist church right down the street. Why don't you come visit? And I said, Okay. So we moved in on a Thursday and that Sunday, I was going to that church. And I had told y'all that part of the testimony earlier, driving there, butterflies in my stomach. So what I wanted to share was that our relationships, you know, and uh, Brenda brought this up too, Ephesians chapter six, we battled not against flesh and blood, you know, I am enormously, forever thankful that I was witness to with five words, even though it took me to be 30 years of age before someone would open their mouth and tell me. But I am forever grateful. And that kind of love covers a multitude of sin there's always usually more good than bad in our relationships. And forgiveness, as we spoke of earlier, is extremely important. Matthew had shared with us that certain things can cause scars on our DNA, literal scars on our DNA. Well, I have some good news for you, because I came across information that tells us that Yahweh can, he's made our DNA to where it can repair itself. I didn't know that. It can repair itself. That's amazing. That gives a lot of people a lot of hope. In Genesis 28 verse 10 through 15 and Yaakov went out from Beersheba and went toward Haran and he came upon a place and stopped over the night for the Sun had set and he took one of the stones of that place and put it at his head and he lay down in that place to sleep and he dreamed and saw a ladder set up on the earth and its top reached to the heavens and saw messengers of elohim going up and coming down on it up and going down on it i want you to remember that remember that picture get that picture of angels going up and going down on it and see yahuwah stood above it and said i am yahuwah elohim of abraham your father and the elohim of isaac the land on which you are lying I give it to you and your seed, and your seed shall be as the dust of the earth. That made me think of Delium again, the scattered many pieces, uh, scattered across the earth, pearls, if you will. And you shall break forth to the west and to the east, to the north and the south, and all the clans of the earth shall be blessed in you and in your seed and see i am with you and shall guard you wherever you go and i shall bring you back to this land for i am going to leave you until i have done what i have spoken to you so remember the messengers of elohim ascending and descending the ladder repairs of the breach naturally and spiritually We are fearfully, marvelously, and wonderfully made. Science hasn't even nipped the bud. So let's take a listen. This is Jordan Peterson teaching a class. All right, so we're gonna zoom in on the hypothalamus here.
4: And what you see, of course, when you zoom in on the hypothalamus is that it's not a thing. It's a whole bunch of things, and then it's one of those horrible, whole bunches of things that are made out of even more bunches of things, and they're made out of more bunches of things, and what's really interesting about going down the body, from an analytic perspective, is it doesn't seem to get less complex as you go farther down, you know, like, some of the, I should actually show you that. I haven't showed you that little video of uh, DNA fixing itself, eh? Oh, I better show you that. It's so cool, it's ridiculously cool, so you definitely need to see it.
5: Until I I encountered the artworks of David Goodsell, who is a molecular biologist at the Scripps Institute, and his pictures are all, everything's accurate, it's all to scale, and his work illuminated for me what the molecular world inside us is like. So this is a transection through blood. In the top left-hand corner, you've got this yellow-green area. The yellow-green area is the fluids of blood, which is mostly water, but it's also antibodies, sugars, hormones, that kind of thing. And the red region is a slice into a red blood cell, and those red molecules are hemoglobin. They are actually red. That's what gives blood its color. And hemoglobin acts as a molecular sponge to soak up the oxygen in your lungs and then carry it to other parts of the body. I was very much inspired by this image many years ago, and I wondered whether we could use computer graphics to represent the molecular world. What would it look like? And that's how I really began. So let's begin. This is DNA in its classic double helix form, and it's from X-ray crystallography. It's an accurate model of DNA. If we unwind the double helix and unzip the two strands, you can see these things that look like teeth. Those are the letters of genetic code. The twenty-five thousand genes you've got written in your DNA. This is what they typically talk about—the genetic code. This is what they're talking about. But I want to talk about a different aspect of DNA science, and that is the physical nature of DNA. It's these two strands that run in opposite directions for reasons I can't go into right now, but they physically run in opposite directions, which creates a number of complications for your living cells, as you're about to see, most particularly when DNA is being copied. And so, what I'm about to show you is an accurate representation of the actual DNA replication machine that's occurring right now inside your body, at least 2002 uh, biology. So DNA is entering the production line from the left-hand side, and hits this collection, this miniature biochemical machines that are pulling apart the DNA strand and making an exact copy. So DNA comes in and hits this blue donut shaped structure and it's ripped apart into its two strands. One strand can be copied directly and it's, you can see these things spooling off down to the bottom there, but things aren't so simple to the other strand because it must be copied backwards. So it's thrown out repeatedly in these loops and copied one section at a time, creating two new DNA molecules. Now you have billions of this machine, right now, worrying away inside you, copying your DNA with exquisite fidelity. It's an accurate representation, and it's pretty much at the correct speed of what's occurring inside you. But I've left out error correction and a bunch of other things. Um, this was work from a number of years ago. Thank you. This is work from a number of years ago, but What I want to show you next is updated science. It's updated technology. So again we begin with DNA, and it's jiggling and wiggling there because of the surrounding super molecules which are stripped away so you can see something. DNA is about 2 nanometers across, which is really quite tiny, but in, in each one of your cells, each strand of DNA is about 30 to 40 million nanometers long. So to keep the DNA organized, to regulate access to the genetic code, it's wrapped around these purple proteins, so I've labeled them purple here. It's packaged up and bundled up, all of this field of view is a single strand of DNA. This huge package of DNA is called a chromosome, and we'll come back to chromosomes in a minute. We're pulling out, we're zooming out, out through a nuclear pore, which is sort of the gateway to this compartment that holds all the DNA, called the nucleus. All of this field of view is about a semester's worth of biology, and I've got seven minutes, so we're not gonna be able to do that today. No, I'm being told no. This is the way a living cell looks down a light light microscope, and it's been filmed under time-lapse, which is why you can see it moving. The nuclear envelope breaks down. These sausage-shaped things are the chromosomes. We'll focus on them. They go through this very striking motion that is focused on these little red spots. When the cell feels it's ready to go, it rips apart the chromosome. One set of DNA goes to one side, the other side gets the other set of DNA identical copies of DNA, and then the cell splits down the middle. And again, you have billions of cells undergoing this process right now inside of you. Now we're gonna rewind and just focus on the chromosomes and look at its structure and describe it. So again, here we are at that equator moment. The chromosomes line up, and if we isolate just one chromosome, we're gonna pull it out and have a look at its structure. So this is one of the biggest molecular structures that you have, in at least as far as we've discovered so far, inside of us. So this is a single chromosome, and you have two strands of DNA in each chromosome. One is bundled up into one sausage, the other strand uh, is bundled up into the other sausage. These things that look like whiskers that are sticking out from either side are the dynamic scaffolding of the cell. Um, they're called microtubules, but the name's not so important, but what we're going to focus on is this red region. I've labeled it red here, and it's the interface between the dynamic scaffolding and the chromosomes. It is obviously central to the movement of the chromosomes, we have no idea really, as to how it's achieving that movement. We've been studying this thing called the kinetic core for over 100 years, with intense study, and we're still just beginning to discover what it's all about. It is made up of about 200 different types of proteins, thousands of proteins in total. It is a signal broadcasting system. It broadcasts through chemical signals, telling the rest of the cell when it's ready. When, when it feels that everything is aligned and ready to go for the separation of the chromosomes, it is able to couple onto the growing and shrinking microtubules. It's transiently, it's, it's, it's involved with the growing of the microtubules, and it's able to transiently couple onto them. It's also a tension sensing system. It's able to feel when the cell is ready, when, when the chromosome is correctly positioned. It's turning green here because it, it feels that everything is just right. And you'll see that this one little bit of spit that's still remaining red, and it's walked away down the microtubules. That is the signal broadcasting system, sending out the stop signal, and it's walked away. I mean, it's that mechanical. It's molecular clockwork. This is how you work at the molecular scale. So with a little bit of molecular eye candy, um, we've got kinesins, which are the orange ones. They're little uh, molecular curry molecules walking one way. And here are the diene, they're carrying that great broadcasting system, and they've got their long legs so they can step around obstacles and so on. So again, this is all derived accurately from the science. The problem is we can't show it to you any other way. Exploring at the frontier of science, at the frontier of human understanding is mind-blowing. Discovering this stuff is certainly a pleasurable incentive to work in science, but most medical researchers, this is just discovering this stuff is simply steps along the path to the big goals, which are to eradicate disease. To eliminate the suffering and the, and the misery that disease
4: causes and to lift people out of poverty. Thank you. So, uh, that's just so ridiculous in mind blowing. <clears throat> it's almost unbearable. I mean, to think about that as clockworking is, is a pretty strange idea. Because all those little things walk over obstacles. It's like, how the hell does that happen? They're just molecules. So, it's so cool. because when you go down, you think, simple, but... And, you know, he said at the beginning when they were taking the, when the little machines were taking that DNA apart, that he didn't show the error correcting. You know, there's other little machines that go along and see if everything's okay, and if it isn't, they cut it out and put a right piece in. It's like, yeah, things we don't understand. There's no shortage of those, that's for sure.
0: Disciplined obedience to his word. We reap what we sow. Our decisions determine our destiny our decisions determine our destiny to be the best that we can be we must take covenant responsibility for our decisions and subsequent consequences both physically and spiritually what happens when we are physically fasting well we go into a beautiful detoxifying cleansing state i say beautiful because we know how to now prepare our bodies to go into a fasting lifestyle without shocking our bodies feeling horrible feeling deprived and saying forget this our body knows what it needs and where it needs it we just need to get out of the way it knows where to get it as well but if we keep our bodies constantly focused on digesting and overindulgence of food three times a day with snacks and sugary drinks in between our bodies cannot function optimally if our bodies are not functioning functioning optimally our spiritual walk also suffers once we achieve a lifestyle cycle of physical fasting we have more energy less brain fog sleep better less bloating Less digestive issues, weight loss, more time to feast on his word, and you have more time in general. We are in the best shape possible to help those around us physically and spiritually. In addition, we are calmer. We have less depression about what condition our condition is in. As his kingdom of priests, we are focused on our written goals and prayer requests, both physically and spiritually. If we keep a journal of such, we see our progress and are encouraged to keep on keeping on. So steps to consider when preparing to fast and pray. This is not an exhausted list, just a few thoughts. It's not medical advice in any way. I'm not telling anybody what to do. I'm not even telling you, if you don't want to fast, you don't have to fast. I'm not telling you You know, YAH has empowered you with his Ruach. He's the one that leads and guides you. So determine if your body and your present state of health can physically fast. You may not be able to. If not, you can fast from activities or habits that may pull your attention away from Elohim. A person must first enter a fast with the proper mindset because we know the battlefield is in the mind. Our first question should be, why am I fasting? Is it for health, spiritual reason, closeness to Yahuwah, hormonal reset, general care of our bodily temple? Is it for weight loss, which is just a natural result, or all of the above? Set goals, physically and spiritually. Also, know fasting is not one size fits all. Let Yahuwah lead and guide you to the type of fast. Listen to your body. Fast accordingly. And when you feast, feast on nutrient-dense foods. Be carb conscious. You don't have to eliminate all carbs, but try to keep them around 50. You know, a keto diet keeps it around 20. That's pretty tough, but keep it no greater than 50. Well, that's what I've done. I'm just sharing with you just a general area number and feasting on nutrient-dense foods is important because when you're young and a lot of young people are discovering intermittent fasting and since they're young they can pretty much eat anything during their feast and get away with it at least they think they can but even for them it would be best if they would choose nutrient-dense foods and start reading the labels on these products that this world calls food. And consider taking a course to get started. That's what I did, because if Yahweh was gonna have me come talk to his people, <laughs> I wanted to know what I was gonna be talking about. So he put me through the process, and so I, I took a course. I mean, I learned a great deal. I didn't even know onyx came in different colors. I didn't know amber was from tree resin. Hey baby, would you go buy me some tree resin? Who knew, you know? I thought it was just some kind of gemstone, which it is. It's been classified, it's been adopted. So consider taking a course to get started. I took a three-week online course by Diane Parham. That's D-Y-A-N-N-P-A-R-H-A-M. She has a YouTube channel. That was the first resource that my sister Carol Ann showed me, and I can't even remember the first video I I watched of hers, but it was like, I knew this was it. She was speaking my language. And I led the rest of my family in knowing the basics to do likewise. So, hey, Bruce was all on board. He goes, you just tell me what I need to eat, when I need to eat it, I'll do it. And he did, and he lost the weight. He's off the blood pressure medicine, hallelujah. And, and so it's just, I mean, it's just been great. So even though she teaches a course on today's aging woman, you can adapt it, of course. So um, I used her course and I led the rest of my family in knowing the basics to do likewise. I found some good resources also by Dr. Berg. Dr. Berg has a, some great recipes and an off-the-chart cauliflower pizza oh man have you ever made a cauliflower crust from a head of cauliflower yes, yes. oh yeah man you know but so I mean I learned about that y'all already probably knew all about that I didn't <clears throat> so As his kingdom of priests, we must develop discipline in the physical realm before we will be truly successful in the spiritual. Many of us at first had the spiritual cart before the physical horse, if you will. There are several ways to fast, from setting aside one item to a complete fast from food for a while. Daniel did a 21-day fast. Daniel and his companions fasted from the king's delicacies and only ate vegetables and water others in the bible chose a three-day fast with prayers with intermittent fasting you may start with three meals a day and no snacks you know because sometimes we get gung-ho we're just on i'm just going to do this one meal a day and that's it you know and possibly i kind of went a little bit fast on this process myself but you can just try to keep it to your three meals but no snacks in between and then once you accomplish that then try to get your three meals in an eight hour window and then when you accomplish that maybe see if you can cut it down to two meals and then after that maybe you can get it to six hours that's pretty good four hours is better as far as what he was talking about getting into ketosis and you have to fast clean that means you can't be cooking and tasting it as you cook it that takes a little while to get used to (laughs) and and you have to be careful about toothpaste too so you can brush your teeth without any toothpaste in your fasting window And then during your after your feasting window, right in there in the feasting window, use your toothpaste. That's how easy our body can be triggered out of fasting. Okay, so I think I went over that and. And keep in mind also that you can fluctuate between all of these. Like when we're traveling, I may widen my windows to six hours. Most of the time I have a two-hour window and fast for 22 hours. And if I need more time, I'll expand it to four and six. You are the priest overlooking your body temple, and the Ruach, and only the Ruach, is your guide. Study fasting in the Bible get one-on-one with Yahuwah Understand why did they fast how long etc and? the needs among us will vary based on age health activity level and mental and physical stability etc So Diane's course that I took, and I'm not advocating her course, I just found it helpful to me. And she's a mindset coach for people that have really struggled staying on course. And it's a community group to encourage one another online. And I I think it was a pretty good setup. So... Her course was what I personally needed, but you may be different. There are several intermittent, intermittent fasting courses available. No one should make your physical and spiritual choices for you. That is, that is between you and Yahweh. That is what I liked about Diane. She doesn't tell you what to do. She only coaches you in your decision-making intermittent fasting process. Diane is a 56-year-old wife and mom of two amazing kids. She has worked in the health and fitness industry for almost 30 years. She started her career as a certified group fitness instructor when she was in the United States Air Force. She has also worked as a personal trainer and nutrition coach. For the past 10 years, Diane has worked as an online health and fitness coach. She currently holds certification as an exercise nutrition coach with Precision Nutrition as well as a running coach certification with UESCA. Diane started researching intermittent fasting when she turned 47 and started realizing that her body's hormones were changing. She had recently been diagnosed with a pre-diabetic condition and was also insulin resistant. Because of her sudden inability to lose weight, she also sensed that her thyroid was also out of balance. Using her experience in the health and wellness field, along with her research on intermittent fasting, Di made the decision to take control back of her own health and was able to heal her body. When we were faithful to him, we had no idea what he will help us with in our body. There's stuff he spared us that we don't even know about. There's stuff he's already healed us from that we were never even aware of. Diane's passion is to teach and empower other women to do the same. And I believe through us, we also can reach our husbands and men and our families. Diane has created a new approach to intermittent fasting that is designed specifically for today's aging woman. In this course, she will teach you how to incorporate an intermittent fasting lifestyle that will help you look and feel your best and live your most authentic life. And it was a three week course and it was um, very beneficial. With most intermittent fasting courses, they will have the various promotional items. Keep that in mind. Do not feel you need to do all that is promoted. I mean, Diana's is upfront. She does this for a living. She does it for an income. So she puts that out on the table. Exercise wisdom. Stick to the basics at the beginning and let the Ruach guide you. And it also gives you an opportunity to witness to other people in the community about all knowing how to eat clean and unclean foods based on Leviticus 11 so it's a it's a way to reach other people too if she may be helping me and I don't know her religious beliefs but hopefully I can reach her So stick to the basics at the beginning and let the rule guide you. An aspect I was really impressed with was Diane's website design, an online course agenda and handouts. Since I do a lot of teaching, I liked her setup. It was good. It was good. You sign on, You connect the community, you listen to a short video, you maybe answer a few questions to yourself on your own paperwork, and you go step by step by step, and you can copy and paste her notes to each session and put it in a Word document and keep it. And it was just a solid, structured way to make sure a person is getting all the information they need and dotting their I's and crossing their T's. So this could easily be an online format that even, you know, we could design and teaching and in introducing others to the Milky covenant confirming gospel. And associated topics presented in an orderly fashion from the basics to advanced understanding. I'm all about that. I'm all about resources for people. I, I have a website, thelibbylink.com. Thelibbylink.com. Because when touring to the tribes, the roof off of understanding his word and how to rightly divide his word I was all about teaching myself all these basics for seven years I I sat like in the background I let Yahweh reteach me the wrong things I had learned And then I let him teach me how to do YouTube uploads, how to start video editing because this world is sometimes hard to reach. Their attention span is short. Sometimes you have to gloss it up, if you will, to even grasp, to hold their attention. So I just let him keep on showing me that. And then I looked around and I said, there's not too many resources for Torah portion guides. You know, because I was thinking back in the traditional church, you know, you had your little curriculum and you had a lesson to teach and I was just like, well, we don't have any curriculum. So, what ended up happening, and and there wasn't any Melchizedek commentaries on His Word. Well, that shouldn't be. Well, Yahweh had me go through the entire Bible and and using that machine's devotional we read, and hallelujah, Psalm ninety-one was on it today. I'm going to be sending it to you. So using machine's devotional, I went through it and grouped all those scriptures so you don't even have to open and look up the scriptures if you're on the road if you're at the airport you can look at it and you can have all your scriptures in one place because I want to do my part like all of you to build up and edify the body and you know I give my perspective I put my commentaries on there but I put them in blue, so if you don't want to listen or read those, just read the scripture. And then, because I followed his pattern, well, I had the whole, I had the whole Bible covered. Well, then, that made it kind of easy, huh? Because when then you do the Torah portion, you just go back to machines, and I just pulled out those scriptures that I'd already been through and made Torah portion guides so so these are tools so you can see why when i came across diane's setup i was impressed i was impressed so we can celebrate is not this fast that i choose to loose the bonds of wickedness to undo the straps of the yoke to let the oppressed go free, and to break every yoke. I prayed before doing this presentation. I asked Yahuwah, I said, Yahuwah, let me know what you would have me say. Let me know. Well, all my notes have been wiped out this whole presentation. <laughs> there was only two slides that had my notes on them. The rest, no notes. I was saying, to them, you know, what should I do? <laughs> should I just stop everything and reboot or whatever? And um, but I just decided to go on. I figured that was his answer to my prayer, and hopefully, I hit most of the important parts. <laughs> so let's celebrate and I want to encourage all of you on this journey if you should choose to go down this path you will be blessed I have been blessed and there's a new generation coming up and they need our help they need our help so shalom, shalom shalom